This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. Lovely to be here with you this week. Uh, my name is Rachel Krieger. I'm going to host the show today. Um, shout out to Pardeep and, and my friend Claire Watkins, who is joining us um, as well for holding it down. I've been listening to the episodes that I haven't been hosting, and they've all been you know really solid, even with um, the NWSL you know off season and maybe not having as much going on as we would in the middle of the summer. But uh, like I said, my friend Claire Watkins is here today in Chicago and um, cold. Are you feeling spring or? Yeah, spring, spring has sprung in Chicago. It feels like we're getting, nice. some, we're getting some sun. The temperatures are going up a little bit. We almost, almost have all the piles of snow off of the ground. Not just quite, <laughs> but we're getting there. Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel here for us in Chicago. Nice. My mom and and my dad are up a little bit North today. Um, like it's funny. It's only like, they're only an hour and a half away. And my mom was like, it's snowing like a bear up here. And I was like, well, you know, I don't, I don't need that here. So, um, (laughs) but like we got the sun for like the first time today and it's awesome. Um, (laughs) but, um, weather talk aside, (laughs) um, it's been a pretty, it's been an exciting week, but it's also been slow. Um, I know they, those two kind of counter each other, but um, there hasn't been a lot of news. But the news that has come out this week in the International Women's Soccer League has been good. It's been exciting. It's been um, it's been good for the growth of the league. And the the thing at our, at the top of our list, I, I know, especially since you know you're our Chicago Red Stars expert, um, is that Chicago got uh, a few new owners, uh, fourteen. I believe in total. Um, and there's a couple really cool names to, to highlight in here. Uh, Sarah Spain, who is a reporter for uh, ESPN. She's awesome. Um, Kendall Coyne Schofield uh, and, and her husband who plays for the Panthers. Uh, she's a hockey player um, in the NWHL. Forgive me. I'm not um, too knowledgeable on, on, you know, teams and stuff, but she is a, she is a very well-known player. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Claire, but a, Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. So, so coin Schofield, uh, not to weigh into too much what's happening in, in women's domestic hockey right now, but I believe she has played in the NWHL, but right now she primarily plays for the, um, PWHPA, uh, mm. which actually, as we, as we are recording, they are doing an exhibition match in Chicago at the United Center, um, this afternoon. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So there, there, there are two main entities of, of women's domestic hockey, uh, in, in, in the States right now. And she is on, on that side of it, but, um, but yes, Olympic gold medalist, 
um, world champion, I believe. I think they also won the world championships in 2018. Um, so yeah, the highly, highly decorated, uh, women's hockey player. Well, thank God you're here because I know literally next to nothing about hockey. Um, even though I always say it's like soccer, but with skates and ice, um, unless, unless people on the quote unquote pitch, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, a lot of new investors, new owners here in Chicago, um, Everyone really kind of following the lead of, uh, of Angel City. Obviously, they have basically everyone in Hollywood, um, investing into their program. Of course, North Carolina had the news with, um, Naomi Osaka, who just won the Australian Open. Um, and Washington has had a bunch of new, uh, investors come in as well. And then, of course, you know, Casey, they have the Chris and Angie Long, and then you have Brittany Matthews. Um, who's a fitness entrepreneur who just had her baby. Congratulations. Um, and um, obviously has a lot of support from the football American football community because of her engagement with uh, Patrick Mahomes. So a, a lot of new investors coming into the NWSL, but like just focusing on Chicago, how exciting is this to have more people join um, Arnhem Whistler and, and company? Yeah, it's, um, there's a lot going on there, I think. And it is, it is both interesting and definitely encouraging to hear. Um, yeah, to start with, you know, I think once Angel City came into existence and we had some of these other big names rolling in, in terms of investment, you know, you had the big tennis match between Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka, and they're both NWSL owners and it's very exciting. Um, and and especially also because we have sort of this new investment system where we're not entirely sure how much money these people are actually putting into these teams. And so it's hard to necessarily make a financial call. But with all of that aside, in terms of Chicago, I do want to kind of just start with the capital, the money, because they needed it. <laughs> um, Chicago is a team that could have benefited from from a new infusion of money for a while, um, they were one of the last stringent independents, right? A singular owner, which actually we found out, I found out this week that um, Arnhem Whistler was not the 100% owner of the Chicago Red Stars. And in fact, um, it is a 14 person group, but there were two other people who actually had invested in the team way back at the team's beginning who are still along for this ride as well. So I, I learned that that was a fun fact about Chicago that I learned this week. Um, but so I think you do have to just kind of start with the money. Because I don't think Chicago, Chicago is the kind of team that has never pursued investment um, without needing it. They like, you know, Whistler has always kind of liked steering that ship, which he still is. He's still the majority owner. Um, but it seems like now we have finally reached the, the right profile of the league and right profile of the team so that the people who are interested um also are interested in that good stewardship because a big thing that Chicago that our Whistler and, and others were talking about on the big press conference after, after this was announced was what Chicago was trying to do. I wouldn't go so far as to say that every single person on that list knows everything about the Chicago red stars. But I do think in terms of vetting some of those people, Whistler had a high priority on them knowing things about the team, having ideas for what should take the team forward um, really being invested not only monetarily, but also in, in being involved in the organization, which Chicago believes is something that maybe even separates them 
from some of these other ownership groups where, you know, you have Angel City. I don't know exactly how many people in Angel City's ownership group could tell you a whole lot about the NWSL. Um, same with, you know, Naomi Osaka, though Osaka's really jumped in feet first, which is great. And then again, Washington, I don't know, you know, if you ask Chelsea Clinton to explain, uh, you know, the NWSL, I don't know, discovery system, I'm not sure she'd be able to do that. So I think that um, what Chicago has been trying to emphasize is, Yes, the capital is very, very good. The team needs it very badly to keep up with everybody else. Um, and I think they think that this particular group, not only of the athletes and the media people, but also the people who have been very successful behind the scenes, they have, uh, goodness, they have digital communication, people who run big digital communications companies. They have people in TV and film production and digital production. Um, they have, they have people in the music industry who are all part of this group. And I think the goal is to just also just bring some expertise. How does the Chicago Red Stars brand grow? How do they change the game day experience to make that, you know, more enjoyable for fans? All of these sorts of things. So uh, this is a lot of brand speak. I'm kind of spitting some of the stuff that the team has said, but I do think there's some truth in um, the idea that bringing people in who already like what the Red Stars are doing and then just want to help them do it at a grander scale uh, has value and should hopefully lessen the learning curve for the new executives that they have. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the brand stuff because, and, you know, granted, hear me out. These are two very different things. Cause you know, Kansas city is a new team and Chicago is established. And I think, I honestly think Chicago has a great brand. Um, Chicago for me has always been like one of the top two uh, for the longest time for me, the rain, when they had like the, um, the like, queen or the you know the crown and all that stuff on their crest that was my top brand and I know I'm biased because that's you know Shirley Cruz is on that team and she's my favorite player and blah 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 um but um I thought they had like the best brand for the longest time and then Chicago they did that rebrand then I was like all right Chicago has taken the number one spot but anyway where I was going with the Kansas City part was I love the fact that when they were brought in they said hey like we're just doing an inaugural crest and then we're going to like get feedback in the next year. And, um, you know, Brittany Matthews is on this, um, what, I don't remember what the committee is called, but it's like the brand committee basically in layman's terms. I think that is so cool. And I think that Chicago is maybe has kind of seen what they're doing in that regard and being like, all right, you know, we have a great crest. We have a great brand, but like, let's enhance that in, in a sort of way. So, um, I think that's really cool. Um, yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that is a little bit, it's a little bit of a boring conversation because it's not, something that you see on TV or see on the pitch. But I do think even when you just go back to an infusion of capital or even just, you know, the ability that the longs have in Kansas city um, to, to pay for some things is that you're seeing these staffs for these front offices expand a little bit. I know Chicago um, hired a full-time photographer, videographer, they were able to hire a new head trainer. They were able to hire someone who um, their only role is digital marketing. They've been able to make some hires to help them operate the business a little bit more efficiency, efficiently. Um, Kansas City uh, hired Mohegan Sun Sports Vice President Amber Cox out of the, you know, she, out of the WNBA essentially um, to be their COO. Uh, Louisville hired um, 
Oh goodness, I forget her name. She, for, out of the rain, they hired um, uh, a Bryn new, Sebring. Yes, exactly. They they hired someone, and her whole job is just making sure that the player experience is really positive. Um, and so this will this maybe will come up when we have the salary conversation about um, what players are being paid. But I think that one of the things that we're seeing immediately in the areas that don't have roster rules and don't have a salary cap is that spending is happening in the front office already. And that will hopefully obviously pay dividends, not only in players' lives, but in their ability to focus on what they need to do on the field. Yeah. Good stuff all around. Um, to your, to your point about um, Bryn Sebring too, you know, just kind of got it, got to share the plug just because, you know, it's, it's at equalizer, but Dan Laletta wrote in his lowdown, um, I think last week, um, not this past week, but the week before um, about Bryn Sebring, he talked to her and, um, she, I mean, she really takes her role very seriously, and and that's great to see. And I hope there's more positions like that uh, in the NWSL to kind of enhance that that player experience and and whatnot. Um, but new owners is always a good thing, so that's exciting for Chicago on that front. Um, and this is a horrible segue, but. What do owners have to do with teams? Teams have rosters. Sure, why not? Let's get in. Uh, we're not going to name all the players on every single roster. That would be very tedious, but they are all on the um, NWSL's website. Teams had whittled down their rosters to 32 players this past week. The final rosters need to be between 22 and 28 players. Um, so that's going to be coming in um, the next couple weeks. But the magic number of 32 has been reached for some teams. There are definitely some interesting tidbits. Like I know for me, I saw that um, Kristen Edmonds, who was with the Orlando Pride for the last uh, three-ish, three, four years, um, and had played defender for them, is now a forward listed for Kansas City. Um, Miranda Nild, the Thai international, is still on the Reigns roster. She was kind of on trial with them. Um, last year, I feel like she was on trial too at some point with the dash. Um, I feel like I remember seeing that. Um, so that's cool. She's still a young player. Um, awesome to see her on a roster. Um, anything that kind of stood out to you, Claire, on, on these rosters? Yeah. I mean, I think talking big picture, um, this is the longest preseason the NWSL has ever had which is good you want a big very nice long preseason that's going to be reflected in the quality of the games you know from the jump at the very beginning of the challenge cup um one of the limitations though is that the league is still negotiating through uh or maneuvering through a pandemic so what we're seeing a lot are these large rosters coming into these teams 30 you know 32 to 34 players which has now been whittled down to, to 32 um to be brought down to a total of 28, which I do think still includes um, training players uh, as opposed to a 28 full roster. Um, And part of the reason teams need to have all of these people in camp with them is because they need to be able to do a certain number of intra-squad scrimmages because it is limited what they can do in terms of playing other teams. We've seen um, some teams with Washington in Kansas City have both done residencies in Florida to get down to go, you know, I think Kansas City played Orlando. Um, you see some college matches happening. What I've heard is that uh, the NWSL teams that play colleges, those colleges need to be following NWSL testing protocol for at least two weeks before playing an NWSL team. So the logistics of getting that stuff put together is a little bit more difficult. 
Um, you have teams that maybe aren't as willing to travel. I know Chicago looked into maybe doing something again with Portland this year and decided it wasn't, wasn't worth it for the risk. Um, so we're seeing a more expansive preseason with more people. And I think the other thing that is interesting about this as well is, yes, they're going to have to whittle this down to 28 players maximum um, in order to uh, play the Challenge Cup, which we already know that the some U.S. Women's National Team, the U.S. Women's National Team players will be missing that first weekend of the Challenge Cup due to the international break uh, in April. And so teams are going to have to make some decisions about who they want their bubble players to be, their peripheral players, and they're going to have to lock that down before the Challenge Cup is even played. So instead of using the Challenge Cup to make those roster decisions for regular season, though obviously we might have someone really take off in the Challenge Cup and win a spot for themselves, uh, teams are going to have to sort of take this small sample size of these preseason games that they've been able to put together and maybe make some tough calls um, because there are a number of teams that have quite a few players already under contract. You know, you have some teams like, uh, again, I'm sorry, I keep referencing Chicago, but that's the one I know off the top of my head. They already have 25 players under contract. So they are determining just a small number of, of uh, short-term contract spots. So I think that it might be a little bit boring ultimately what happens in the next couple of months, but um, who knows, who knows? But I, I mean, again, talk about ownership. You talk about money, you talk about things getting bigger, things getting longer. The season is longer. The preseason is longer. The rosters are bigger. I think all of this is, is a positive, And I think it's going to, like I said, be reflected in a really quality soccer product from the beginning of April to the end of November. So um it all seems it all seems good. I'm excited. And you've got like 28 new roster spots with, you know, Louisville incoming. So you don't have to like and, you know, thank goodness for Kansas. So you don't have to just stay at nine teams. So positives all the way around. So if you want to check out um, all those rosters, they are listed on the NWSL's uh, official website. It's right at the top. Can't really miss it. Um, so teams are going to be cutting down to that magic number coming up soon. So definitely keep your eyes off for that. I know those cuts are definitely always really, really hard to do. Um, you know, Claire, you mentioned that um, Kansas City and Washington were um, down in Florida. Um, I think they're, I think they're returning home now um, this, this past week. I think some did actually. And um, Kansas City and Orlando had a preseason scrimmage with um KC getting a one nothing win. Um, but I, I think that's going to do it for us for the first segment. Actually, before we close it for the first segment, um, just to make note, the uh, NWSL made it through February um, with just three positive players and two positive staff members for uh, COVID-19. So very good that no team exposure uh, was really happening. So um well done on that front to the NWSL players and, and the staff and everybody for, you know, keeping up on that. Um, so that's good news. And they're very good at updating yeah. uh, test results and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I guess maybe one other piece of news, and this is sort of trickling out this week and nothing official has been announced in terms of teams making announcements, but um, we're seeing some States that have been on, total no fan no attendance lockdown start to ease or at least project yeah. easing some of that in april i know here in chicago they're talking about maybe 25 percent capacity um by the time baseball starts that's what they're shooting for um 25 capacity uh outdoors maybe something like 10 percent indoors 
Uh, I think we saw the same thing in New Jersey. They're maybe talking about some of that stuff in Washington state. So that's maybe one final thing. Out of those, a piece of news that, that Arnhem Whistler kind of gave out during his, his press conference this week is that the league isn't making, obviously making no promises. They're not going to do anything that they do not believe is safe, but they believe they will be allowed and are maybe starting to plan for, because this stuff does take planning. Yeah, um, for sure. Maybe, maybe no fans at the Challenge Cup. Um, to sort of maintain as, you know, they don't call it a bubble, but a restricted access area as much as possible. And then I think, I think they're planning to have fans once the regular season starts in May. And so um, hopefully trends will continue in the way that they are trending and that will all be possible. But uh, the league is going to need that revenue this year. So I, I am hopeful that that is something they're going to be able to do in a safe way. Yeah, for sure. And the key word there, as you just said, Claire, safe way. So um, yeah, a lot of good stuff to look forward to, uh, on the NWSL front, but we still have some stuff to talk about and we will be back for segment two in just a moment. Um, so don't go anywhere. This is the Equalizer podcast. Hey everyone. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. We'll be right back to that in a minute, but just want to make sure that you're aware of our other podcast from the Equalizer Network, Kicking Back. It's one that I host, and each week we talk to personalities from across the sport of women's soccer, coaches, players, executives, plenty of great guests throughout season one from U.S. coaches, Vlatko Anonofsky, Jill Ellis, to players like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn. NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird. So many great guests. And we're coming up on Season 2 pretty soon, and you are not going to want to miss what we have in store for you. So go ahead and check out Kicking Back. If you're listening on a podcast platform right now, you can find us there as well. We're on all the podcast platforms, and we're looking forward to another exciting season of really in-depth interviews and fun interviews with our latest guests. That's it for me, and let's get you back to the Equalizer podcast. Welcome back to the Equalizer podcast. Uh, my name is Rachel Krigger. I am here with Claire Watkins. Our lovely producer, Jacqueline Purdy, is the mastermind behind the whole thing. Um, we always encourage and um, push out that we have a um, subscription as well. They, Jeff Kasuf, our fearless leader, is doing this amazing forward series. It is really, I mean, it is really in-depth, people, like, um, but it's not boring. I know long articles can seem boring, but it's very um, stimulating and great and awesome. And I'm not just saying that um, because it is equalizer work, but it really is great. So um, subscribe today, equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. We have a coupon going on. Um, so be sure to check that out. Um, I will be sure to reference it again at the end when I pull up the correct coupon information. Um but definitely check that stuff out um, and be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, so segment two here, it's um, we just have one more piece of news that uh, Jeff wrote about this week in, in one of his stories about NWSL salary numbers and um, just kind of what's going on money wise within the league. Um, so, and, and, you know, shout out to John Halloran for breaking it down because me and numbers equals no bueno. And he made it very easy uh, for me to comprehend, which is double thumbs up for you, John. Um, so in t 
the 2021 season, um, of course, the NWSL has minimum and maximum salaries for those who are not on um, federation contracts and for those who um, are not signed to allocation money deals. Um, so in 2021, the minimum salary is $22,000. The maximum is 52500 So um, that's 2021. So to kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Compare it to 2020. The minimum was 20,000. The maximum was 50,000. Um, and if you really, really, really want to go back and compare it, and if, if you don't like listening to numbers and just like reading them, jo- check out John um, and his tweet that kind of breaks it down. Um, in 2013, the first year of the NWSL um, being alive, the minimum was 6,000, the maximum 30,000. Um, so I'm done speaking about numbers because it hurts my brain. Um, Claire, I know you wanted to touch on just kind of the growth of the numbers and how maybe the minimum isn't growing as much as the maximum should be. And if I said that wrong, I'm sorry. No, that was, yeah, that was a very nice job. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, there's a lot going on here. Um, thing number one being moving up to 22 from 20,000 last year is a 10%, you know, a 10% raise. Um, which if you think about year over year, especially coming out of the pandemic year where you have to assume that at, at best people were losing small amounts of money or, or maybe breaking even, um, that I don't think is necessarily bad in the short term. Um, but, I think um, when you talk about the league minimum and the league maximum, the minimum is set, right? That number is the real number. The league maximum is all over the place, right? Because you have non-allocated maximums. You have uh, club allocation maximums. You have federation players who have their own payment structure. So the max contract is for a very select few. And it also references more to cap hit than uh, what players are actually taking home with them in, in a way that is good, right? You know, the, the highest played player in the NWSL is not making $52,000 and that is the way that it should be. Um, And then when you're looking at the minimum, however, that's where it starts to feel a little bit stark though. Obviously at this point, clubs are providing year round housing, which if you think about a city like, again, this is my reference, Chicago, that's probably, um, you know, at least an 8000 to $10,000 value. So maybe add that, right, to, to the number itself. So if you're making $25,000 um, a year without that housing element, let's say the value there is, you know, thirty five, which is better. But that's still pretty low in terms of these are almost completely all four-year college-educated women. And if the NWSL isn't even competing with jobs that you can get out after graduating college, you have that's where you lose players. Um, and I think that it kind of brings back to reality this idea that, yes, the NWSL has to worry about losing players to Europe, but they also have to worry about losing players just to the, the rest of the job force because it has to remain relevant in, in raising those minimum structures. And so this also comes back into the idea of at what point is the um, league secure enough 
And I think you could ask a bunch of different people and they'd give you a different answer secure enough that they need to be negotiating a CBA with the players association. Um, I think for a long time, you would have ownership in the league front office say, we're not ready. We're not there yet. You would also have players say that we're not organized yet. We're we don't know exactly what we're doing just yet. I think moving into this 10th year of the NWSL, they need to have some stuff written down on paper, not only kind of year over year rising of the minimum, though I think that that should make a huge jump if they do have a successful season this year. Um, but even things like, you know, the NWSL has a lot of rules in place that protect teams, right? They have the way that rights work. They have a draft. They have a trading system. There's a lot of protections there for team ownership. So what can the players come forward with in terms of compensation that writes that balance a little bit? Yes, maybe the teams need to have that control in order to maintain a competitive league, but there should be rules maybe about how long a player can be on a minimum salary before they're able to explore a free agency. What does a kind of restricted free agency look like in terms of giving players negotiating power for actual dollars in a contract? I think that that kind of stuff is what the league needs to start talking about. You know, we go back to segment one, we have all this good news about money coming into the league. I think that you deal with team and league stability first but at some point that has to trickle down to players and that's going to have to come through a negotiated collective bargaining agreement. Um, so that's my piece on that. I think that basically, if you just look at the larger, the larger picture, we need to have more player protections in place by negotiating that kind of stuff. Um, because I think that, you know, the rising tides needs to raise all ships here. And you're only as good as your minimum contract players. And if the NWSL wants to be the best, best league, or at least even the most competitive league in the world, they need to be focusing on that end as much as the top end. So that's my soapbox on that. Yeah. And some of those players that you referenced that, you know, maybe aren't getting those allocation money deals. Those are still those players that are, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the heart of the league and the right. foundation of the league. Like, you know, I'm, I'm so glad when I saw Erica Timrak was back in the NWSL, I was like, wow, like she's back. She's a foundational player and she's back. And, um, you know, some of these, you know, other players like, oh gosh, just off the top of my head, um, to me, like Megan Oyster and Nicole Barnhart. And, you know, I know Oyster's kind of a, younger player, but still Caprice Didasco, you know, a lot of these players, I mean, it's still, you know, they're, they're worth more than the dollar sign that they're given, I think is, is the way that I would say it. And another thing I would add just to further your point about the CBA is, you know, they have, I think if the NWSL does go down that route and the players, you know, kind of need that, um, Although, granted, I think the NWSLPA is incredibly run, and I think there are some really smart, amazing women on that group. You know, they still, when it comes to CBA negotiating, you know, if it comes down to that one day, it would be a new process for them, of course. So they would have, you know, a lot of um, friends I know from the NWHL and the WNBA to help them. But I think there would also be a lot of – um what's the word I'm looking, not really correlation, but like support from the NW, uh, not NWSL, 
MLS Players Association, because look at what they just did with their CBA with, you know, Don Garber and company. And plus, when they were going through that and the NWSLPA was like, hey, we support you guys. So I think that they would I I really strongly feel like MLS players would definitely um, give that back to the NWSL players. Yeah. And I think, Um, you know, I think um, in terms I think that's a a really good point as well. And I also think that um, it's. This is this is a funny little culture shift that we're also seeing in the league in that one of the one of the difficulties in in advocating for a different stru- for a different salary structure and that sort of stuff is um we don't know a lot about salaries, right? We don't know who is getting what money. There's very little disclosure on how that breaks down for players. Um partially because that's what the players want. Uh there are players who don't feel great about whatever salary that they're on and they don't want that to become public knowledge. Uh, and there are players that are very grateful, <clears throat> excuse me, to have the opportunity to play at all and who are, see the greater gains in the in-kind value and the experience that they have and how that is um, growing and becoming more professional. And they appreciate that. And I think what we're seeing though is a new generation of kids coming in who grew up with this league and are definitely grateful that it exists, but are also like, Hey, what if this was a viable career for me also? Um, And I think that that is, that just takes time where you not only have the leadership that is learning from their peers, but also have a generation of players who want that, who want a little bit of friction with ownership, who want to advocate for the things that they think that they need. Um, And I think that that, is good. I think that we cannot continue with a women's sport just being grateful to exist because um, it's been it's been existing for too long for that. And I think that that protects the wrong people. Um, so as always, just advocating for greater transparency and especially getting that from the uh, player base is going to be very important as well. I think that's very well said, and I have honestly nothing to add because I think you just said it all very well. (laughs) Um, But bottom line, growing the league is always the goal here. I think, Um, well, not even, I think, I just know that growing the league is, is the bottom line. It's the goal. Um, So is it just NWSL, anything in general, um, anything you want to, you want to add before I kind of like round this out? Yeah, I have a question for you. This is something that I I'm curious about, you know, just with everybody um, who is in the independent media side of things, uh, tell, you know, talking investment, talking, talking, you know, the, the solidifying of staff positions in teams and talking salaries for players for you as an independent media person. Um, do you see the same thing happening in media coverage and how does, how does all of this kind of rising up while still <clears throat> having a lot of media who do this kind of part-time or as a labor of love. Um, what are your thoughts on your role in this? And, you know, I can talk on mine a little bit or equalizers role in this as we see a lot of sponsorship, but still on this media side, um, we don't have people making $22,000 to do that either. So mm-hmm. I just, I'm curious what you, your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, it's actually funny because I, I was talking to our friend Dan Laletta this week because, you know, I interviewed for a job on, on Thursday that has zero to do with soccer. Um, it is church ministry. And I said, listen, if 
if I could do social and write for Equalizer full time, I would be sold. I would be in. There would be no questions asked about it. Um, it, it stinks that there is really no full time. A lot. Well, I shouldn't say no full time work because there is some. Um, but I think a lot of it too. Um, and I'm going to use you know, someone like Julia Poe is an example. She's not even just an NWSL writer. She also covers Orlando City SC, um, which is great. You know, soccer coverage in general in the United States needs to be up a little more, but I'll, looking inside that window, um, the women's soccer coverage and just women's sports in general needs to be up a little bit more um, or a lot more, I guess I should say. Um, I, I think that the media is growing. And I think we just saw that this weekend with new members coming into the NWSL media association. Um, I think as expansion grows with the, with the league and stuff, we're going to see more media pop up. Um, you know, I, I see it happening in Kansas city. I have some buddies that write down there and they're getting into it now. Um, covering the women's team down there. Um, I, I don't know if that answers any of your question, but I think that, just what's a good way to say this the more the more coverage the better true but it's also still quality over quantity i yeah. don't i i want to see good quality work i don't just want to see like my my biggest thing is i hate recaps like recaps are <laughs> so stupid like if i want to go and i and i i get paid to write them so like jeff i hope you're not listening to this part <laughs> um i can just go and look up a box score and whatever i love features i love an- analysis i love all of that stuff and that's the kind of quality that i would rather see over just um Yo, uh, Veronica Latsko scored a goal in the 40th minute and she did it with her left foot. Awesome. Cool. Um, and yes, I use Veronica Latsko cause she's from Pittsburgh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me is still like, yeah, having more is great, but I still want the quality, um, rather than just, you know, quantity. Yeah. I think I, I totally agree. Um, and you're right. I think I keep going back to, and this, this was brought up to, I just started this sentence like four different ways. This was brought up to me. uh, It was kind of a stark contrast to me to have someone like Sarah Spain invest in a team this week Mm -hmm. um, who she did that. You know, she made very clear, you know, she did that with her own money. She was able to do that based on what she has made as an ESPN journalist um, for men's sports. She's a men's sports journalist and TV personality. And I do think that that, you know, I, you have to be mindful of that gap, right? That you have someone who, uh, a really smart, funny, powerful woman who is able to rise through the ranks of men's sports and then be able to invest back in women's sports. But it still shows that gap of we have one full-time women's soccer writer in the entire country, and that's still Meg Linehan. Mm-hmm. Um, Sandra Herrera does a lot of work on the men's soccer side for CBS. As you said, Julia Poe does the same thing for Orlando. Um I wonder where this goes a little bit. And and it's interesting to kind of be on on the outside of it as independent media who is working purely on this freelance, you know, basis because you kind of feel like something's got to give a little bit, right? And whether that's going to be more people who have expertise in different sports coming into the women's soccer space. I think we've seen a little bit of that especially with Zoom availability. Um 
I just, I am interested. We t- again, we just talk about the gap between owners and players. I'm interested in also this gap between teams and media. Uh, and so we'll just kind of have to see where that goes. I suppose. And I got to say for the zoom media, like I hate the pandemic more than anything in the world as most people. Um, but the zoom availability has been awesome, especially for someone like me who lives in Pittsburgh and doesn't have a team. The closest team to me is the Washington spirit. And that's still three and a half hours away. Um, which is a pain in the butt. Um, So having this Zoom media availability, being able to actually do more with the coverage instead of maybe just, you know, reaching out to, you know, teams PR and maybe doing an interview every once in a while to actually like getting on and being able to have that accessibility as someone like you who lives in Chicago has. um, That's been the positive, I guess, of all of this is to kind of not just feel more involved, but like actually be more involved. So um, Zoom doesn't have many perks because I'm over it. (laughs) Um, But that's one of the perks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's just, it's going to be an interesting, another interesting year for sure. Interesting is a good word. (laughs) Um, Hopefully, like you said, and as we mentioned earlier in, in segment one, hopefully we can get, you know, even if it's just a few fans back in the stadium and, you know, we can travel, you know, to games and stuff and, and, and do a little bit more, that would, that would definitely make it, um, a little, a little normal. Um, that would be awesome. Um, but that was a really good question. You, you, I had to really think on the spot for that one. (laughs) Trying Um, to stump you at the very end. I know, but like, Hey, it was a good question. So I, I always appreciate it. See, there's, there's your quality over quantity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, to kind of wrap us up, just like a few news and notes we have, um, women's champions league over in Europe is, um, continuing the second leg. Um, there are, Six games this coming Wednesday, March 10th. There is one on Thursday, and then there's one on uh, on St. Patrick's Day on March 17th. Um, so definitely be on the lookout for for those. They, uh, there's a lot of early start times, so set your alarms. Um, Liga MX Femenil um, took a cup took about a week and a half off because of the friendlies between um, Mexico and Costa Rica. It was Monica Vergara's first. Um, Mexican, uh, not camp because she had called in a camp um, previously just to train, but it was their first uh, match. They won their first game and then they um, had a scoreless draw with Costa Rica um, in the second game. So uh, lots of cool stuff there. I know um, Raquel Rodriguez and Shirley Cruz are, are heading back to their clubs, um, Thorns and, and OL Reign. So that's cool um, on the Costa Rican side, but um other than that, just a lot of preseason matches going on. So definitely check out teams on social media to just kind of see scores and goals and stuff. Um, and uh, that pretty much does it for us here for the Equalizer podcast this this week. Um, for myself, I'm Rachel Krieger. That's Claire Watkins. Jacqueline Purdy is the mastermind behind the whole thing. Um, we will see you guys and, and talk next time. Oh, 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 oh,